This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. On today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, episode 179, the Buffalo Bills are officially headed to the playoffs. There will be no Week 16 drama. There'll be no Week 17 drama. There'll be no studying playoff scenarios. There'll be no needing help from other teams to get in. Put those damn early NFL mock drafts away for at least a couple more weeks. The Buffalo Bills went out Sunday night. Hostile environment. Prime time. Heinz Field. Handled their business. Went to 10-4. and Lynched the playoffs. Lynched the fifth seed. If you're a Bills fan, feels damn good. Anyway, I'm going to have Aaron Quinn on from cover one. We're going to break down Sunday's game, how the defense found yet another way to dominate a ball game, a common theme this season, of course. We'll discuss how we're feeling about this team right now, what being in the playoffs feels like right now compared to 2017, how we think they may fare against some teams that they could face in the playoffs, future outlook, much more. Aaron's been on the pod with me many, many times. We'll hit on tons of stuff. I have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know today's show is being supported by Assured Sounds. So it seems like everyone has a podcast today. And trust me when I tell you, I listen to tons of them, spend several hours a day listening to podcasts. And I'll tell you, the biggest mistake that I hear, and I can almost instantly tell many people make this mistake. They go out, they want to start a podcast, or they want to do voiceover work or recording, any type of thing like that. You go out, you spend all your money on fancy microphones and really cool looking boom arms and interfaces and recording devices, all that stuff. Here's the problem. People go out, you get all this stuff, but you don't treat your actual recording environment. Walls, ceilings, doors, left open, not treated. As a result, your audio sounds like crap. Echo, reverb, room ambient noise all creeping into your microphone and it makes for a pretty crappy audio experience for other people who are trying to listen to your show. Look, you need to invest in acoustic treatments if you want to make the gear that you've invested in thrive. Sounds Assured has top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because inside my home studio right here, I got wedges outfitted from Sounds Assured, available multiple sizes and width, very reasonably priced, and most importantly, excellent quality. If you want to go out and you want to get the cheapest thing in the world from Amazon, go ahead. But I'm telling you right now, from experience, you're going to be sorry. Sounds assured, excellent quality, all kinds of other accessories, bass traps. Again, invest in your audio the right way. Give them a call. Someone will be happy to discuss what needs you might have. They'll guide you in the right direction, tell you where you should be treating your rooms. And as a bonus, use promo code Moran10 and you're going to get 10% off any order. Do yourself do your podcast or audio production a very big favor. Go check out soundsassured.com. And on that note, let's do this. Buffalo Bills are going to the playoffs podcast. <laughs> 
Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you doing? Episode 179. Thank you, everyone, for listening and for downloading. No uh, messing around today, man. I'm going to get right down to it. I got my man, recurring guest, Aaron Quinn, with me from Cover One. It's been at least a handful of weeks, bro. How you doing, man? Dude, it's been a crazy handful of weeks since we last talked. And uh, now we've got a, a playoff caliber football team. They've been talking playoff caliber for a long time. Here we are. They finally are. It is. And we're obviously going to be spending a lot of time talking about that. But before that, I got to tell you, it's a good thing the Bills won on Sunday night because I was in a really shitty mood all of Sunday, not because of the way anything else played out around the NFL, but because you just said playoff team. Well, my fantasy football, and I'm not that guy who sits there on Twitter all the time. And when you, I've had you on the podcast several times. I never talked to you about fantasy football, no. but I got to tell you this quick tale because it's a, uh, I don't know any other way to say it. It's embarrassing. All right. So for a second straight year, I'm in a league with like lots of people out there listening, a bunch of buddies. We've had our league going. This is, I think, our eighth or ninth year now. Bunch of guys, bunch of drinking buddies. And last year, my wife took over. She's not in the league. It was all guys. And my wife took over for a team because the guy drafted. And after two weeks, he didn't want to do it anymore. And my wife's been dying to get in our all boys league. And she, so she took it over. And long story short, she ended up winning the championship oh. in our league. And, you know, that's kind of. I've never won the championship. I should have prefaced it by saying that. So I've never won the championship. So I've got my balls busted by my friends relentlessly, oh, yeah. as you would expect. So that was last year. And by the way, last year, I had the best record in the league, too. Most points scored by a ton, had a bye in the first round, and lost in the semis. I got slapped. I gagged. Straight up. I, I gagged. So this year, new year, kind of the same deal. Had the best record in my division. Got to buy in the first round. Didn't have to play in the in the quarterfinals. This week was the semis. My wife makes the playoffs, wins in the quarterfinals, and now I'm going up against her this week in the semis. So it's Moran versus Moran here, and I got my ass kicked, bro. Oh, <laughs> I got so my ass kicked. I got destroyed. It all started Thursday night. She had Lamar Jackson. Dude had like 42 oh, and a half done. points or yeah. something. And then Sunday... One o'clock or so, and in fairness to me, I still would have lost because her team was just on fire. I mean, she had Travis Kelsey had like eleven catches for one hundred forty-two yards. I don't remember. They they were just coming. Points were coming from everywhere. But at one o'clock, I had Rashard Perryman from Tampa Bay. I picked him up during the week on waivers, knowing Mike Evans was out. Didn't start him. Dude has three touchdowns, thirty-four points. I started Patrick Laird as a flex. I took Patrick Laird off waivers for Miami. And decided that that would be a, a good week to start him. So long story short, again, I got my ass destroyed by my wife, who is yeah, now in the tough. championship game and is one victory away. If she wins the championship again, and this time, again, last year I was like, well, it wasn't your team. You didn't draft it. You just, uh, you know, which wasn't really, I mean, she didn't draft it, but she made a ton of moves and things like that. But that was still, you know, that was an excuse. But now she's one win away from, she already emasculated me. 
She's <laughs> completely on the verge of emasculating this entire league. And it's not so much because a girl's going to win our boys drinking league. It's not that. Listen, there's plenty of qualified, very intelligent female football fans out there, football people in sports media. So I'm not making a slam necessarily towards women. It's directly towards my wife, man. My wife's yeah, not a, wife. She's yeah, a, yeah. She knows her football, but she ain't no kind of sore of football. And I was supposed to be the one who's smart and knows everything everyone comes to, all my friends to talk football, this and that. And I got destroyed by my wife and she's one win away from being a repeat champion in my league that I've never won. So you can only imagine how much shit my friends are talking to me and having fun with this, which is not fun for me at all. No, it's not far. It actually sounds like a sitcom script uh, and you are just the the punchline of the sitcom <laughs> joke here uh, and the, the guy that's getting craft on. I feel for you, man. I was in a league with my wife once and she didn't beat me in a playoff game, but she did beat me in the regular season and I didn't hear the end of it. And again, my wife's probably the smartest human being I know, but not football uh, when it comes to football. She doesn't really care. She kind of watches it peripheral just kind of I because I watch it and for her to beat me and then all of our friends just rip into me for it. I feel your pain a little bit, but uh, if she wins the championship again, man, you might have to think about leaving this league. I don't know. I started this league. I'm going to get run out of my own <laughs> league, man. It's again, it, it, losing to your wife is not a lot of fun. I can tell you that it, it's, it's not that she doesn't know football. She's just not into it. Like say you and I would be, you know what I mean? She's not sitting sure. there in a yeah. Slack channel all day during a San Francisco 49 or Minnesota Viking game before six hours before the bills play or anything like that. That's what I'm yeah. getting at. I hear you. I mean, that's pretty much, I retired from fantasy football. I've, I unfortunately had a, a really good friend pass away here this, this last year. And I took over his team halfway through the season, uh, co GMing it with a friend and rest in peace to my friend. I love him to death, but it reminded me of why I hate fantasy football. We spend so much time on the rosters and stuff and would just get demolished of people that you knew in the league weren't paying all that much attention. I just, uh, fantasy football drives me nuts and it reminded me why I retired. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that point of view. If with us in our league, it's just a bottle league. Like we don't play for money. We just play for shit right. talking. The winners gets a bottle from everybody. So it's kind of fun, but it's not fun to lose your wife. It's one other thing. Well, I'm sorry, man. One other thing too, I wanted to ask you, this is actually a question here and got nothing to do with football. So Saturday night I'm out and I got to tell you this story. And again, not football, but I met a woman who was a hundred years old. She had a hundredth birthday party. I was at an American Legion and I was like starstruck. I don't know about you. Have you ever had the opportunity to physically meet somebody who was 100 years old? Uh, I have. And it really? was a family member. Of really? My, my dad's, my, uh, my grandfather's brother, uh, which is crazy because all the men on my dad's side of the family die by 70. You know, most of them 65, 70. And this guy lived to like a 106. Walked the wow. beach every day in York, Maine. About a mile and a half, two mile walk every single day up until the day he died. Uh, and it was just incredible. To, and he had all of his wit about him all the way to the end. He wasn't one of those old guys that just was totally out of it and, and just kind of a vegetable. He he was sharp as a tack all the way to the end. So I'd love to know what his secret was. I never got that out of them because uh i'd love to be living like that at that age yeah I, i'll tell you i had never met somebody who was 100 years old and i was like i was in awe of her it's crazy i man. had somebody at at the legion it was a legion post i met a couple friends of mine with my wife for a couple drinks and she was getting ready to leave somebody told me that she was 100 years old i actually had the guy who was working there go up to her ask her if i can if i could introduce myself to her and get a selfie with her which i did yeah. I took a selfie with somebody 
who's 100 years old, dreaming her like she was a rock star. She is a rock star. If you live 100 years, I got, oh my God. I got no chance. That's never going to happen for me. So I already know that. I'm, Not I'm, the way uh, I treat my body. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. Exactly. How's the weather up there? It's getting cold, man. Uh, I was just saying to somebody, it's not too bad this time of year. I can deal with it. I like a little bit of cold and snow around the holidays, but we're in for it, man. It it feels a little bit better when the Bills football matters. I'm not going to lie. I know that sounds corny and stuff like that, but when there's exciting football up here, the weeks start to fly by. You got the holidays. The weather's not too bad. I've only got the snowblower out two or three times so far this year. So we've gotten it pretty easy, um, but I think we're in for it here come February. That, that's when it gets real nasty up here. So check in with me kind of then around draft time and see how miserable I am then. <laughs> well, I might check in with you this weekend because I am uh, going to Buffalo. I'm coming up Friday. I do it every year for the holidays with my family. I'm going to be up for 11 days, and obviously I'm always excited to get up no matter what, but I'm especially excited this year because of the Bills. They're yeah. making the holidays more fun. Buffalo so is so lively right now. Every all these videos and everything that we're seeing, the celebrating going on, it just, it just. I mean, obviously Christmas in itself, but it just feels extra festive with the bills I mean, being. Even- even little things, man, like it's trash day here in my town. I was rolling out my trash can earlier and two of my neighbors happened to be outside and everybody was like, hey, hey, go Bills, you know, like everyone's just, and these are people that I'm out there all the time on my Bills gear and we're not talking Bills. It's people that are just casual fans are getting excited. The, the city's buzzing. There, there's a little bit of an extra buzz going around right now. I'll tell you, I'm really glad and fortunate that I've gotten to grow up in Buffalo and spend most of my life there because I got to go through it in the 90s. The same kind of vibe as the team was coming up, or late 80s, I should say, in the 90s, as the team was coming up. And I I guess I have to call myself an outsider right now because I'm actually not physically in Buffalo. So I I, kind of know how that feels. Now, of course, the Bills beat Pittsburgh Sunday night, 17-10. Heinz Field clinched the playoff spot. Not just a playoff spot, but the fifth seed overall, second time in three years that they made the playoffs now with Sean McDermott as head coach. And I'll tell you, the one conclusion I could get to, and I'm not talking about the actual football team itself, Bill's Mafia, because of all the publicity they're getting in part this year because the team is good. It's kind of like a football team. When they're good, they get a lot of coverage, and the fans are probably even getting more coverage than ever now, like how passionate and how good the fan base is. And I think that could be overblown at times. But I'll tell you, not in this case. I really feel like the Bill's fan base, and I'm not – pandering to the listeners right now because I, I legitimately truly mean this they really are the most loyal fun group of football fans or just sports fans anywhere I mean like Sunday night is a per- just one example a small one but dude it's 20 something degrees out it's 2 30 in the morning and there's hundreds of football fans at an airport waiting for a team to get off of a plane because they won a week 14 football game. Isn't that just insane, but insane in a good way. Yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of stuff that I have issues with that the, this fan base does that's super corny or a little bit over the top that I don't love. Uh, but when things are going well and they're starting to show the other side of the fan base and, and this instance that you're talking about of them showing up for the team. And I know people say it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. I think it does. I, I think the players buy into this. You saw a lot of players tweeting sure. out videos of this stuff that I think it, it provides that kind of college atmosphere that a lot of these guys 
guys came from that you just don't get in other NFL cities. Uh, it's cool, man. And to see the the team and the fan base uh, treated on a national level and get the respect that they deserve that, hey, man, this team's been bad for a long time and these fans have stood by them and you're not seeing necessarily the guys going through tables or dildos getting tossed out on the field. It's a different narrative that's coming out about Bills fans and the passion uh, that is associated with Bills fans. And I think that's great because so many good things have come out of this fan base, um, even though we all annoy each other and, and annoy a lot of the other fan bases and media. Uh, it's because of the passion that everybody has for this team. And uh, I hope that they continue to kind of make a run because this could be a really fun time to be in the city. If they, even if they just win a playoff game or something like that, just make a little bit of a run here and make a little bit of noise. And it'll be a treat to this fan base that we just haven't seen. We're thirsty for it, man. I'll tell you, I feel like in this situation, when the players talk about how much they appreciate these fans, I think it's genuine. Yeah. I, I believe it. Now, in the past, I've known some players that have played for this team, and you get that typical coach speak, of course. You got to say it's PR. You got to yep. say, you know, we got the best fans. These fans are great, this and that. But I was like, whatever, man. It, they, didn't, they didn't care. They just want to get no. their paycheck every other Tuesday, do their job, and stay out of trouble. And they do appreciate, I'm not saying that they didn't appreciate the fans, but not on this level. It does feel like a genuine two-way love affair. And I know that is really corny to say, but I do think, I agree, man. I think that these fans help inspire this team. And it's just, it's great stuff to see as for the game itself. Okay. So they're playing Sunday night. It's the first time in what? I think it was like 12 years, right? 12 years that they're playing on Sunday night. I don't know about you, but it, it kind of felt weird to me. I felt a little bit off as I was on my couch watching the game Sunday, the whole thing until they got like in the nitty gritty in the second half. And then I really locked in and I was into it. But for me, at least, and maybe it's just me that first half, I felt a little bit off. Maybe it's because the team hadn't played in 12 years on a Sunday night football game and I wasn't used to it anymore, but it just, it felt weird to me watching them play on Sunday night. I don't know about you. Were you right into it right away or did you feel a little like, you know, what's going on here? I hated it. I'm not going to lie. I hated everything about the lead up to it. I hated. I'm a creature of habit, man. And I do the same things pretty much night before a game. I get up and do the same things day of the game and watch the game at one o'clock. I go off and do our podcast right after that game during the four o'clock games. And then I'm kind of relaxing by Sunday night. And sometimes if the game's not good, I'm in bed by halftime. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just into that routine. That's my habit. That's what I do. I swear to God, I think I cleaned my house twice on Sunday. Just had football on in the background. I was anxious. It was, it felt terrible. My routine was all off. Uh, the game, I had so much anxiety and angst for this game that by the time the game came, uh, I don't, I don't know if I didn't get into it, but it felt like by the time halftime was here, I was like, holy cow, what is happening? Like the game just flew by for me. Yeah. Uh, up until the fourth quarter. So it was a a weird experience. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that like the prime time, you know, all the lights on the bills. And if they continue to be a good team, we're going to have to get used to it. But I don't know. I was a kid in the nineties, so I didn't get to stay up for all the night games and all the big time games, but I don't know how people are used to it. I reached out majority of my friends are Patriots fans. I reached out to a few of them. And I was like, how do you guys do this week in and week out with these primetime games, man? I can't do it. And they all admitted, they said, I kind of hate it. I'd like to have more one o'clock games. And I was like, well, I think soon enough you'll have them. If you guys uh, start losing, like I think you're going to in the next few years, but but uh, no, it was, it's a weird experience, man. And I think eventually we'll get used to it, but I didn't love it. And then just all the anxiety from past prime time, just 
horrible performances by this team just lingering over y'all. I know every single Bills fan felt like the team was going to come out and throw up all over themselves because we've just seen it so many times. So that kind of anxiety is not good for my health, man. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, it was the same exact thing with me on Sunday. I spent the day, I was putting up acoustic panels in my uh, makeshift like kind of recording studio. I was doing everything I could to stay busy. Like I said, tracking fantasy football, watching my wife kick the shit out of me. And, you know, it's one thing, Monday night football, Thursday night football, you got work, you got things going on throughout the day that can really distract you and get through the day quick. Sunday, yeah, you wake up, you're ready to go. It's a routine. If I had my way personally, and I understand why fans, Bills fans, would want to have primetime games because it is a way to really, you know, just show off your showcase and your team yeah. to the world. So I do get that. But if I had my way personally, I would play 16 games at one o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I'm 100% with you on that one take, man. I, I love the one o'clock slot. There's just something nice about one o'clock football. Even if it's not my team, I just think, it, I think it's the best slot for football. There's just something nostalgic about that. Yeah, no question about it. And I'll tell you, the difference between this team, and I've said this throughout the season, the way I feel about the, two, uh, the 2019 Buffalo Bills compared to past teams, is that I've always felt like when this team has a lead or if they need a play to, to win a game, I always felt like something bad was going to happen. Like, where's that rug? Somebody's about to pull that shit out from under me. I haven't felt that way about this team this year, but I will say this. Going into this game, I know how hot Pittsburgh was. They won seven of eight. I know that Heinz Field is a very tough place to play at. I know Pittsburgh has been really good playing at home in primetime. I think they were like 12-3 and over the last 15 primetime games at home. But I kept telling myself, I said, listen, I don't care how good the Bills are. They're 9-4. and four. I don't care what our record is. If you want the NFL in the league and maybe even some Bills fans to take you serious as any kind of legitimate contender, I don't care what the circumstances. Dude, you better go out and you better beat Duck Hodges in prime time. There's no excuse on earth to lose. I don't care where they're playing. Duck Hodges is a quarterback. You got to exploit him. And that's literally what the Bills defense, to their credit, they did. They answered the bell against an inferior quarterback. They took a guy who, I don't want to say he stinks because he's had a couple of decent games, but they made him look like who he's supposed to look like in the NFL. They just, they completely dominated him for a lack of better term. They had to do that. They needed to show the NFL that there's an inferior quarterback out there that we could dominate. And then they had to go out and dominate him. That's exactly what they did. Yeah, no, I thought, I mean, the entire atmosphere, that was a playoff atmosphere, no matter who was the quarterback sure. of that team. And that's a huge thing for a young team to be on prime time in a playoff atmosphere on the road uh, with a team and a franchise and fans that are used to winning in those situations. I think that that was a great setup uh, and kind of a practice run for getting into the playoffs and playing some bigger games in the future for some of these young guys. So that was really interesting to me. And yeah, I agree with you that I felt the same way that this defense had to come out and dominate that young third string quarterback who has played pretty well, watched quite yeah. a bit of film on him. He, he was not uh, necessarily the reason they won games, but he wasn't blowing it. Like you would expect a guy to come in like Mason Rudolph was uh, when he was playing, he was blowing, blowing their opportunity to win games. That was not what Hodges was doing until he met the bills. Uh, and that's what the a dominant defense should do. And we saw that with the bills. We saw them fix the run defense. I mean, Connor got going a little bit, but they have forced, teams to get away from the run even in close games uh they settle down after the scripted plays and really stay in their gaps and they're staying disciplined that was the thing you know a month ago i was pretty concerned with you started to get into the playoff football 
teams start to run the ball a little bit more. It becomes more of a game of the trenches. They went up against one of the, maybe, I think, the better offensive lines in all of football. A veteran offensive line with some big bodies, guys that can really push you around. They stood up. Now, this is, what, three out of the last four weeks? They stood up against really good offensive lines, and this defensive line is playing some of the best football I've ever seen from a front seven uh, from the Buffalo Bills. And those are all things that you start to kind of pile up as you look forward into the playoffs and say, if they can do that, that's the kind of football that wins in late December, January. If they can play defense like that, man, and we all know you hear the cliche all the time, defense travels. We saw it this weekend. That's the kind of thing that gives you a chance to win a playoff game that you might not supposed to be or that Vegas doesn't pick you to. So I think this defense more than anything shined on the national spotlight. And and I feel pretty confident going up against anyone in the NFL that they can at least stay in a game because of that. Let me ask you a question because I definitely want to talk more about the Bills defense. I got a couple stats and things that I want to point out to you. But before that, I want to ask you a question. You brought up James Conner, how he was able to do some good things especially during that touchdown drive. He looked really good on that drive. And I know he's been less than 100%. I know he's been out. He's been hurt. In fact, this was his first game back. Mm-hmm. But are you surprised at how little Pittsburgh even tried to run the football with a guy like Devin Hodges quarterbacking? Because James Conner only had eight carries for the game and no other running back on the team, Jalen Samuels or Benny Snell, even had more than two carries. I was thinking in my mind, I'm like, all right, Pittsburgh's at home. They're really going to try to grind this game out, play aggressive defense. And yet in a one score game the entire time, they didn't do that. They didn't, they abandoned the run. They gave up on it pretty quick. Do you, do you understand if you're a Steelers fan right now, I probably would be pissed off. I'm like, why is James Conner only running the ball eight times? Do you think it's anything specifically that the Bills defense did? Or do you just say, what's going on here? Yeah, no, it's been something I've been trying to figure out. So the Broncos did it too. I thought the strength of the Broncos was going to be them running at us. They got away from the run. They were actually pretty successful. They were picking up runs at a five yard per carry clip. They just weren't doing it. Right. Uh, The Cowboys got away from the run and that game was close when they got away from the run. I don't know why teams are getting away from the run, especially when you look at the last, I don't know, eight weeks of Bill's film and the clearly the Achilles heel of this defense was the run defense. It was talked about in our media ad nauseum, right? We were trying to figure out people were ready to cut star, uh, right, you know, yeah. abandon some of the things on the defense. I don't know why teams have stopped. Are we bringing up more guys? Are we bringing up more guys into the box? Are we blitzing more? Are we daring I mean, teams to throw the ball on us? They've been blitzing a little bit more. Uh, they have been, but the the past defense is still the strength sure. of this defense of our defense. So I don't know that that's the best plan of attack, and it hasn't been proven to be yet. Uh, at least in the last month of football, the teams that should be running the ball down your throat have gone away from it. Teams have been really successful against the Bills, though, in the scripted plays. So at the start of the first half, start of the second half, you're you're seeing probably the best drives of the year against this Bills defense in those situations. So. Uh, and teams are running in those situations. So I don't know if it's just the offensive coordinator getting a little scared or it might also be, I think, one thing that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are really good at that we haven't had here in God knows how long is the ability to adjust. Absolutely. 
this team puts a drive on you, a scripted drive, they come back to the sideline and they settle in, they make the adjustments necessary. And maybe that is something that the, you know, we don't see as the spectators in the broadcast view, but maybe the offensive coordinator seeing the adjustments that the Bills defense is making and saying, all right, well, they, they figured this out. We can't just run it on them the way we were in that last drive. So it might be a little bit of the chess match on it, but you found something and I'm trying to get to the bottom of what it is that's happening. Why teams are abandoning the run in a close game because it seems to be if I was the offensive coordinator, the best plan of attack against this. I don't want to put the ball up against Tredavious White, Jordan Poyer, Micah High. Like that's the strength of this team. And uh, you would think they would attack the weakness and it just hasn't been happening. Well, they held they held Pittsburgh to just 64 yards, total yards in the first half. Kind of like you mentioned, and they fell asleep a little bit coming out of the locker room. Pittsburgh had one really good TD drive and then defense woke back up. They ended up picking off Duck Hodges four times, including two in the final couple drives to seal the victory for Buffalo. In total, Pittsburgh only had 229 offensive yards. It was their fewest since the 2013 season. This is, am I safe to say that this is one of the best defenses that this franchise has ever had? Maybe even the best. Again, four turnovers. They made Duck Hodges look like they were supposed to make Duck Hodges look. And I tell you, I I, I did a little bit of statistical research and, and the best three defenses and maybe you could draw a comparison with these that I found that can compare to this defense right now this year. You got to go all the way back to 1999. They were second in points, first in yards. That's where they had a front four that featured Pat Williams, Ted Washington, Bruce Smith, who was not in his prime, but he was still a factor and Phil Hanson. Then they had like guys like Winfield and Henry Jones and Coward back there. Coward was a great linebacker, at least during that time. Anyway, 1988, they were third in points and fourth in yards. Of course, you already know the names, Bruce Bennett, Talley, Collin, Nate Odoms, and then 19, you have to go all the way back to 1980 when they were third in points and fourth in yards. That's when they had guys like Jim Haslam and Shane Nelson, Lucius Sanford, Ben Williams, Charlie Romes. I'm looking at the list now. Jeff Nixon, Steve Freeman. That was a great secondary in the early 80s. But anyway, this defense is not just statistically on par, but talent-wise, to me, it feels like this is as good as any defense I can remember the Bills having. Well, and you got to think, too, situationally, those defenses of the past had better offenses and that is a friend of a good defense to have an offense that can put up points, give you a lead. Uh, This bills defense has been the reason they've won games that that game Pittsburgh had the ball twice and we're driving to score a game tying touchdown and the defense locked that down. And I feel like at least for me, I felt pretty confident uh, our strength versus their weakness in that situation where I never really feel that confident with our offense. So I think that's uh, a, a case to say that this defense might be better than some of those, that the offense is not a great offense. It's a, a bottom of the league offense still. It's not even an average uh, offensive unit. So I think that goes in the favor of this defense. And then you look at the way other offenses play in 2019 versus back in the 90s and 80s. It's an offensive game. The rules are go favored the offense. Um, scoring is at an all-time high over the last five years. And I think that to have a dominant defense in this day and age and to do it consistently, they've had a pretty good defense, except for there was maybe one month in Sean McDermott's first year. And there was a little bit of a stretch here with the run game this year. They've been a top unit overall with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. So to do that in such a high paced offensive uh, uh, time period era in NFL. And then you also throw in that it's the salary cap area and it's hard to keep players and keep this stuff going. And they have a lot of young talent. I think there's a strong case for this 
to be the best defense the Buffalo Bills have ever seen in their franchise. Yeah, and I, and I think you brought up a really good point that in today's offense, there's so many more offenses around the league that are explosive and can score more. And I'll tell you, the Sean McDermott trademark the first two years has been they beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, and then they kind of get blown out by the teams that are better than them. At least the first two years, that's been the trademark. I, I don't know yep. how many it is, but the Bills have lost by 20 or more points plenty of times during Sean McDermott's career. Not the case this year, though, dude. Listen, Buffalo's played 14 games this year, and other than the Philly game where I thought the defense kind of stunk that game. You take that game yeah. away, this defense has, at worst, played good enough to win to give the team a chance to win. And if not, at times, like I said, including Sunday, they've just been flat-out dominant. So when you play 14 times and your defense has played well enough for you to win 13 of them and flat-out won you some of these games, yeah, I, you, I mean... If you tell me this is the best defense you've ever seen in Buffalo, I don't. Uh, I it's can't. There. I, I, I can't take this maybe the the there was a couple years with Schwartz and Patton where again they had bad offenses, and I think that those offenses didn't do those teams favors. But those were more splash play defenses where this 2019 defense up until really this last week, they struggled to get some of the splash plays, the turnover plays, but they're just consistently in the same way Bill Belichick defenses are. They keep you from getting points when it gets, you know, they kind of tighten up the noose when they have to and and continue to create punts and get the ball back for the offense. So uh, it's one of the better defense I've seen. And like I said, the ability of Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier to work together that long time relationship that they have dating back to the Eagles for them to be able to work together um, mid game to make adjustments is just something we haven't seen in Buffalo for 20 something years. Even when we had good defenses, it felt like, you know, a, a Patriots team would come out and make adjustments and the defense never adjusted to what the other team was doing. And you're seeing this defense do it week in and week out. They're always making adjustments and staying on, on it uh, here this year. And that's a special thing. And, I think I've talked about it here with you on this show. Brian Dable, if he has a good game, he'll get talked about as a head coaching possible candidate. He becomes a hot name. You don't hear enough about Leslie Frazier and what he's doing. I don't know if it's because people think this is solely Sean McDermott's defense, but Leslie Frazier has his hand in this defense a lot more than I think people realize. And he has done a fantastic job leading a lot of young talent uh, and putting them out there in big situations and getting the most out of this talent. He should at least be getting interviews here this next offseason. I hate to lose him but he's he deserves it with the job he's done over here let's take a quick break want to let you know today's show is being supported by 26 shirts at 26 shirts a different buffalo theme design is sold every two weeks and then that shirt is gone here's the best part for every single shirt sold a donation is made to either a local family that's in need to a worthy charity and since 2013 their designs have managed to raise and donate get this number folks over six hundred fifty thousand dollars that's right 650k and counting and growing every day del reed his crew they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of many people out there it's wonderful to see not to mention by the way these shirts look good. They're designed great. They're comfortable, very sporty to wear. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. I'll tell you what, Aaron, about 
maybe five, six games in, we knew the Bills' defense was going to be really good. And you talked about splash plays and splash players with some of these other defenses. I couldn't figure out one person, except maybe Trey White, who looked like he was going to be a pro bowler at the time. We, I remember, in fact, we had a conversation. We said, well, you can make a case for six, seven different guys, which is true. But it's like none of them felt like pro bowlers to me. Now I feel like not that pro bowl is, is a big thing. In fact, the game itself is a joke, but the honor still means something to me anyway. You got some guys right now that are really locking that shit down. Like if they're not in the pro bowl, it's ridiculous and a, a crock. And one of them obviously is Trey White, who might be the MVP of this team. If there was any doubt that he was one of the game's best corners, that ended Sunday night in a big way. Two interceptions. He just plays well. I mean, he'll get beat every now and then, but he just plays well every single week. He will be in, he should be, one of the game's highest paid cornerbacks when his contract comes up, which the Sabres, or I'm not the Sabres, the Bills get extend this summer. They got to, he's going to get paid, man. This guy is every bit, is, there's no overhype about it. He's not overrated. He's as good as we all think he is. Would you agree? Yeah, no. Yeah, he is, we talked about this last night on our podcast. Uh, he was the first draft pick from the Sean McDermott era of regime. Brendan Bean wasn't here yet, but he's, he's Sean McDermott's guy. He was brought in. He was brought in to replace Stefan Gilmore, who is having a phenomenal extended uh, portion of his career with sure. Bill Belichick and the Patriots. I think he's playing absolutely phenomenal. He's right there as one of the best cornerbacks in the league. There's no debating that. But to be the guy that gets drafted to replace that guy and then come in and play at the caliber of that guy is fantastic. That's huge. I have no problem. If if they drafted him to uh, replace Stefan Gilmore and he played like Leotis McKelvin, I'd have a big problem. Well, you know, with Trey White not living up to the hype, he's exceeded the hype, in my opinion. Uh, I think that they are going to easily give him a contract that breaks the cornerback market and they should do it. He's there. The first pick, it proves that, hey, when we draft you, if you come in and ball out, you're going to get rewarded for that kind of behavior. And I think it speaks to free agents. It speaks to guys coming here to draft. I think you're, it's going to be the opposite of what we saw uh, the Jaguars today, the, the release of the NFL PA came out and said, you know, so many complaints coming about the Jaguars. I think you treat players right. You make Buffalo a destination and Buffalo's fans don't want to hear it. Buffalo's not a destination for a lot of these players, but you know what will make it? rewarding hard work, re-signing your own guys, building a winner here. And I think one of the big things that's going to kind of show a lot to the players in this locker room, show a lot to the players around the league is giving Trey White a record-breaking deal. I think he's earned it. I think everyone around the league agrees that he's earned it. And uh, I, I think that they're going to have no problem sending that check for him. They got the money. He's a young guy. It's an important, one of the most important positions on defense in a passing league. Lock him up. Make Trey White a Buffalo Bill for as long as possible. I mean, if, you, if you're not going to pay this guy, then who are you going to pay? He's done exactly. everything. He's done everything and more. You've asked for him on the field. He's been an ambassador to the team. Very likable off the field. He's done everything the right way. So yeah, if anyone's ever going to earn maximum money to be the highest paid player at his position in the league, to me, it's definitely Trey White, especially when you consider his age. And most importantly, how good he's playing. Again, he was a very big factor. And this isn't the only game. He beat Miami and Buffalo. I'm telling you right big now, time. were it not for his interception on Ryan Fitzpatrick and then a, a forced fumble not long after that, they probably don't win that game. And it's not just him. I mean, again, but here's my point. Earlier in the year, that was just what I was talking about. I was like, no one's really one person standing out. It always seems to be someone new is stepping up each week. Now, that's still the case in terms of players are having a good game. 
but it's starting to become the recurring cast of characters that are really becoming the standout players on this team. Obviously, we just talked about Trey White. And the other two, to me, is Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. They're both continuing amazing seasons on Sunday night, and they're also headed towards winter cash-ins, which I want to talk about the free agency aspect of it in a little bit. But in terms of their actual just production on the field right now, Phillips, two sacks in the second half. He's got nine and a half on the season. Aaron Donald, the only defensive tackle in the NFL who has more sacks in him. He's got 11. And that dude's played like 250 more snaps than Phillips this year. That's crazy. Right. In terms of Shaq, dude, he's up to six and a half sacks now. He had uh, another one on Sunday night. And he was already known as one of the league's best run stoppers. He's getting paid too. But again, we'll talk about money and free agency and stuff in a little bit. But just in terms of the value that they're bringing to this football team, these guys are becoming pro bowlers too, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, I don't know if they'll get it just because it's the Bills and lack of overall name recognition year in and year out. And Pro Bowl voting's a little wonky too, uh, but they should, if it was just based on merits and how you're playing this season, those two should absolutely be uh, in contention for Pro Bowl. Shaq Lawson, in my opinion, is playing some of the best football uh, on this Bills defense. I love he, I love the way he's playing. He's Last year, he was probably the best run defender on this team. He's continued that trade of being the best run defender on this team, but he's gotten after the passer. He's done a lot more productive pass rushing than Jerry Hughes or Trent Murphy has uh, here in this defense. I think right now he's probably the best pass rusher and he's added moves to his arsenal, which is something that I was frustrated with over the last couple of years. He kind of was just a one trick pony with his bull rushing ability and he didn't always have the strength to muscle some of these guys on the edge. Now you're seeing a little bit of uh, repertoire of moves that he's created. And I know a lot of people say, man, it's just a contract year and that's why he's playing like this. I think you have seen steady improvement from Shaq Lawson year in and year out. It just hasn't been as much as people wanted. It didn't live up to the hype Rex Ryan was talking about him being when they drafted him so high. Uh, He's starting to kind of live up to that draft type of a first round pick. I mean, he's making an impact on every single game uh, and that is what you want out of a first round pick. So I love the work Shaq Lawson's doing. I love what Phillips is doing as well. Um, I don't know how sustainable his play is I think that he is really balling out for a contract and I don't know if he can sustain this type of production at year in and year out I'm not sure of that player but I feel like Shaq can sustain this type of production it's not crazy amount of sacks nothing crazy but he's always consistently where he's supposed to be and he had a good game this weekend but what he did against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens there was a few times where he had Lamar Jackson dead to rights because of just sound discipline run uh, gap integrity football. And that's the stuff that gets Sean McDermott going when he's watching film with these guys. He said it, he and Leslie Frazier both said it. Shaq Lawson is the juice that gives this defensive line energy. And that kind of stuck with me. I think that that's kind of one of those things where at the end of the year, when they're talking about who they're bringing back, when the coaches are saying, Hey, this guy's the juice that gives our defense energy. You start to think that that's kind of a priority. I'll tell you, I really like another guy, Tremaine Edmonds. I thought he had a very good game. I think he's consistently getting better. Now I feel like he's one of those flash players early on. He'd have a good game or good quarter, I should say. And then he'd kind of disappear. He's becoming more consistent. Now he's becoming a presence. He was a big time presence against Pittsburgh. No question about that. Chris Collinsworth, who I'm generally not a big fan of, he was raving about him, but I think Collinsworth was on. I mean, this is definitely a guy, like a lot of other players on this team, he's truly ascending, and you could start, you're starting at least anyway, to see that ascension. I, I feel like give this kid maybe another half year to a full season, and why not? Why not? He could be one of the better linebackers in the NFL. I could see it. 
I'm seeing it right now. Uh, so a lot of these guys come into the league and they have a ceiling. And whether or not they hit that ceiling, nobody knows. But usually the ceiling kind of stays where it was. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, his ceiling continues to rise for me. I thought that he had a ceiling when he came out and he was making a few splash plays. Like you said, it would, there would lack some consistency. There's a little bit of mental errors, which is going to happen. He changed positions. He was a 20 year old kid coming out. He hadn't even filled into his body yet. So I expected some of that growing pains with him at one of the toughest positions to train, to transition over to running the defense, the, the, progression that he's made this year is outstanding. I know everybody wants to talk about Josh Allen and his progression. What Tremaine Edmonds has done in year two isn't getting talked about enough. He is really the leader of this defense. He is very much growing week in and week out in front of our eyes. And this kid is 21 years old, man. I don't know that the average fan can grasp how what that means to the bills when he comes up on his first contract, he's still going to be the age of some guys coming out of college. He is a young dude. He's a physical freak. Like you said, uh, he had a huge impact on that game and he doesn't blitz often, but the threat of him blitzing when he lines up in that a gap and is threatening to blitz, you know, that the offensive coordinator, the offensive line and the quarterback know exactly where Tremaine is. And that threat of him blitzing is a real thing to him because there's not a lot of guys that have the size and speed that he does that can disrupt the quarterback in the way he can. So even just that threat makes so much for the Buffalo defense. And the guy next to him, Matt Milano, does not get the credit that he deserves. This linebacking core, this young athletic linebacking core, this is the future of the NFL uh, with athletic tight ends and, and pass catchers out of the backfield. That These guys that can cover, they can blitz, they can play tough, uh, they, they tackle well. That's the future in the NFL. And if they can keep these two together, man, it, it could be something very, very special moving forward. I, I, dude, I'm like totally standing out right now for this defense because I'm just thinking about it. Milano and Kevin Johnson played well. Levi Wallace had yeah. an interception. Jordan Poyer had an interception, and he played very well. Yeah, Micah Hyde got shook once by and Connor. And he's fantastic. Yeah, Hyde had a couple bad plays, but overall, he's been rock solid, of course. And here's the funniest thing about this defense. Aside from maybe Trey White, who's the most accomplished player on this defense coming into the season? Wouldn't you say it was Jerry Hughes? Yeah. He's probably yeah. had the quietest year of all the starters. He's got, right. not that he's played bad, but he's only, he's got four and a half sacks. He hasn't really done too much this year. He's been kind of quiet, at least by his standards. And again, not that he's playing bad, but he's not standing out. So he's probably their second most accomplished defender, not doing much. But yet this defense just continues to kick everyone's ass. I mean, let's just say what it is. Okay, good ass. They really do. And, you know, a lot of people are down. I just mentioned a lot of people are down on that Oliver. He's coming into his own. He's having a really good Absolutely. year for the second half of the year here for a defensive tag. That's a hard position to come in as a rookie. He's an undersized guy like that stuff takes time. And the way that they've developed him to come in and make an impact. And I think that it's a mixture of drafting the right guys. This defense is all about, you know, I know it's corny and it's cliche. The whole one of 11 uh, thing. This defense really operates at that one of 11. Uh, capacity and I think that they find the guys that fit like a, your Matt Milano's he wasn't a highly sought after prospect uh, he's come into his own in this defense uh, Taron Johnson is probably one of the better nickel cornerbacks I've ever seen in a Buffalo Bills uniform he is playing fantastic in that role uh, nobody even knew when they drafted him I was like who the heck is this kid I've never heard of him right uh, they just have the ability to find the guys that they need for this defense so I think a lot of people have given up on Kevin Johnson nobody drafted 
drafted Levi Wallace. All these guys come in and make an impact. And so it's a nice mixture of the top end talent. Your Ed Olivers, your Trey Whites, uh, guys with big names that you know, and guys that are just fits. And I think Bills fans should feel confident that we're going to lose some of these guys coming up. You're not going to be able to re-sign Shaq Lawson and uh, Jordan Phillips and extend Trey White and extend, you know, so on and so forth. You're not going to be able to keep all these guys. That's part of the problem of having success is guys are going to go. But I think as long as Sean McDermott's there and I hope we keep Leslie Frazier too and this front office, they just have a knack for finding the guys to fill these holes that fit their defense. And so I think you're going to be able to continue them to refresh this defense and it's hard to do it year in and year out, but I think they're going to have a top defense for, for quite a while here in Buffalo. I'll tell you what, my buddy Tone Pox, who used to do the podcast with me, he's still occasionally, he, he brought up a point similar to what you just said. When it comes to Sean McDermott's system, he, he doesn't want to lose Shaq and he doesn't want to lose Jordan Phillips, but he's also confident if one or both of those guys leave, that they'll find the right guy to plug into the system and that the defense as a whole won't miss a beat. I'll tell yeah. you what, let, let's talk about the other side of the ball briefly here. Brian Dable, listen, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty incensed early on in the game. It was a Trey White second interception that, yeah, when the lineman caught his ass at the 20, I thought he was going to score it. All of a sudden, number 71 comes flying in and uh, knocked him out of bounds. So he didn't score. But anyway, so the Bills get the ball. And then I think they ran six or seven consecutive times in a row and mm-hmm. ended up kicking a field goal. That, that pissed me off. I didn't like that at all. But I'll tell you what, if you're going to sit there and blast him on Twitter, which I do sometimes, I admit that. I'm going to give him credit two words, too, because that third down call, that touchdown pass to Tyler Croft on third and goal, that was one of the ballsiest Bills play calls that I've seen this entire year. I mean, you got a guy who's been hurt, who's only got four catches all year. It's third down. You need seven. You want to get seven. You do not want to settle for three. They put trips out to the left. I'm like, all right, this is going to be a slant to John Brown or maybe some kind of out rub play to Cole Beasley. He looks left, Josh Allen, best play of the game by by far. Looks yeah. left, gets the safety to look to go to that side. And then Tyler Croft breaks open and Josh Allen puts it right where he needs to in Croft scores. That was an incredibly courageous call as far as I'm concerned. Again, considering, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little dramatic with courageous, but that was a hell of a play call, man, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, The thing that is tough for me is working with Eric Turner over at Cover One and being in our Slack channel over there. This dude finds it every single week. He finds these weaknesses. And this was something that he specifically talked to us a ton about in our Slack channel and and showing examples of the weakness of the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And Brian Dable saw the same exact thing. So I think to the outside perspective, it did look like that's a ballsy play, right? It's third down. It's a big spot. But they saw this matchup on tape the whole time and he just waited to expose it for the right moment and that takes a special person to know when the moment is to do something that you've all seen you've studied you've worked on in practice all week long you know you've been around football your whole life to to work at that all week long and to say all right this is the spot we're we're calling that and for it to work that takes everybody working in unison that was a a great play that shows the film study that shows all the stuff that goes in during the week it it doesn't show up all the time it doesn't always succeed but they they got the matchup they wanted and it worked and it was a fantastic play you can say what you want about this offense all year they've been getting into those third and long situations and this is something that for the last uh, 15 years of being a Bills fan if they aren't third and four I have zero confidence that the Bills can pick up a first down on on a third and long it just has never been something they've been good at 
this team with Josh Allen and some of the weapons that they've created, third and eight, third and nine, I think we got a shot. They've proven that they can do it. And that that is what winning football teams have done against the bills year in and year out where you get them in the third and long and they're able to keep a drive alive. The bills just haven't been able to do that. So that's a huge uh, benefit to this team. And some of that goes on the play caller and some of it goes on the talent Uh, to the point about the, the drive after the Trey white interception, I wasn't super mad about that only because the situational football that they were in, uh, I, it was right after I think um, Devin Singletary's first fumble had already happened at that point in the game. And they came out and when they were running the ball, I felt like you never want your team to settle for three. And I don't think that they necessarily said, Hey, we're only going for three here. But I think that they had a conservative approach, knowing what this game meant, knowing that it was going to be a low scoring game and be a very tight game all the way till the end. I think that they took all that in mind and said, look, we're going to remain conservative here for this drive and not do anything to give the ball back. We just want it. We got to get these points here. And if we can continue to move the ball on the ground and get some first downs, we'll get a little more aggressive. But right now we got to get these three and tie it up. And I, I don't hate that. I know it's frustrating. Uh, I know fans don't like settling for field goals, but that tied up the game. And then that makes any score after that. You're relying on your defense who's shutting down Duck Hodges and, and they're not doing anything on the other side of the ball. You need one more score. And you, if you get another score in a tight game like that, you're probably walking out the winner. And that is what ended up happening. So there's definitely Dable is not calling perfect games. He's got problems. Um, I think there's a bigger problem on this offense than Brian Dable. I think it's execution. I think that there's a lot of plays that are being left out there. And the team as a whole, it's always somebody, whether it's a bad Josh Allen throw, a drop by a receiver, a missed assignment by a lineman. There's an execution problem. And I think if they could clean up four or five of those plays a game, there would be a lot different narrative about this offense. I think you'd see them rising on the DVOAs and, and all the stats that would put them up towards more of an average offense. They really, I'm really stuck on that. If they clean up something four to six plays a game, it changes the narrative of what this offense is and would put a lot less stress on the defense. I want to just glance over a couple of the usual suspects on offense because we could talk about the same guys every single week. John Brown, right. of course. Last three games, he's kind of been slowed down. He's only had eight catches for 91 yards, but he had seven for 99 Sunday night. And maybe the most important play of the game, he recovered Singletary's fumble, that the second one of his game that led to the Bills' game-winning touchdown. Singletary, two two fumbles. That's obviously a concern. Hadn't been coming into the game. Having said that, though, he ran for 87 tough yards against a really good defense. A couple of beautiful runs. I still love on skates too. Yeah. I still love this kid. I I've said it multiple times on Twitter and this podcast. I say next year, he might be the best player on this offense. I'm including Brown. I'm including Josh Allen. I'm including everyone. I just think he's that special. I think he's that talented. And in terms of Josh Allen, we don't need to have a discussion with him tonight because look, the the needle didn't move for me one way or the other. And I doubt it moved for you either. He was okay. He wasn't, obviously he wasn't great. 13 for 25, 139. But that's not great. But it's also not terrible. But his receivers, twice. right? Exactly. And receivers dropped a couple balls. He did what he had to do. This is a road game. They knew they had to win this game. It didn't matter if it was thirty-one thirty or if it was seventeen to ten. Don't go out there and lose the game. I feel like that's his role, at least sometimes. And and Sunday night was definitely one of them. So there's nothing really to add about him. He was okay. Would we like for him to play better, make more kisses and throws? Sure. Will he? I think so. Eventually, but, yeah. And this this last 
stretch here and it's going to continue here this weekend they're playing some of the best defenses sure. in the nfl i mean look what pittsburgh did to lamar jackson that was probably lamar's worst performance was against the steelers so these are defenses that make a living and that's what they're doing is making other quarterbacks look bad so he didn't make any huge mistakes right. or play any crazy hero ball so that's kind of a win i think you, you take that optimism out of it yeah absolutely look i don't think he played like he didn't belong as a starting quarterback against baltimore and pittsburgh Two of the probably the three best defenses in the NFL, along, of course, with Buffalo. Here's what I wanted to talk about for a few minutes. Like I said, we could just glance over Brown, Singletary, Josh Allen, because they take up all the headlines, as they should. But what about this offensive line, man? I feel like, you know, they deserve at least a little bit of love here. Josh was only sacked one time. And let's reiterate this again. The Pittsburgh Steelers, if nothing else, are great on defense, okay? Mm -hmm. he, he only got dropped once. He wasn't under that much pressure throughout the night. I mean, he felt some pressure because, again, a very good pass rush. But he wasn't under duress every time he went back to pass. Like, it felt like he was against Baltimore, who just continued to blitz him every play. And they did gain 130 yards on the ground. Not great, but, again, not bad. And in, in terms of Cody Ford, I got to admit this. I've been very harsh on him, but I haven't been hearing his name too much since Inseki went down. And in a case like with a rookie starting right tackle, that's a good thing. Now, I'm not saying the guy's playing great. I'm not saying the offensive line's playing great. But they're not playing. They can't be playing that bad because the Bills are producing. They're moving the ball. They're putting drives together. And this offensive line, is, to me anyway, is at least playing, I want to say, decent. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think they are. It's a huge improvement from what we've seen in the last two to three years uh, with the Buffalo Bills offensive line. It's amazing what better linemen can do for your offense and get the ball moving. And maybe fans of other teams would hear this podcast and be like, what are these guys talking about? This is one of the worst offenses still in football, but it's still a massive improvement. I think the success of Devin Singletary has been correlated with a better offensive line. I think I think he's sets up well to run behind this offensive line. I love when they get Mitch Morse pulling he's fantastic in space i love what he's able to do uh quint spain brings some of that nasty he's not in the same way richie incognito was but he and feliciano uh have done a good job feliciano uh people asked me who was one of my favorite um free agent pickups this year and there's a you could talk about the john browns and stuff like that but Fel, what feliciano has done i thought this was a guy that maybe not even make the team like who is this guy he's gonna be a backup he's come in and done a really good job and he spelled mitch morris when he got hurt a couple times here this year as a center so his flexibility which we talked about a lot uh, in the offseason so they've put together a nice unit they've done a pretty good job i think some of it is also josh allen has done a lot better job moving in the pocket uh getting the ball out trying to get the ball out a little bit quicker um but yeah no it's a, it's a pretty good unit and i got asked a while back on the, that the offense is getting better and scoring more points here uh in the second half of the season and why is that is it because dable went up in the the booth and i think that is part of it but i think it's three things dable went up in the booth able to see the ball see things differently devin singletary like you said has become a feature part yep. of this offense and that makes the offense better it takes a, a lot of pressure off of everyone one everybody's job's easier when he gets going and three we brought in nine new starters that's gonna take six eight nine weeks before they really start to gel and you start to get a little bit more continuity and i think you're starting to see the longer they're together the better the as a unit they're playing and i, I think that maybe uh one of the most important things is going to be the line of scrimmage and winning in the trenches uh, as we get ramping up here to the playoffs and 
my hope is that this team continues to stay healthy, but starts to really gel uh, at their most as we head into late, uh, you know, December, January football. Well, I'll tell you what, I thought they did a decent job of blocking and Watt got his TJ Watts might be the I defensive mean, player. Blocking him. Exactly. But you know what? I, I kind of liken it to basketball in a way, like when you're playing a team, all right, well, let's let MJ get his, but we're going to stop everybody else. Right. And I kind of feel that way because I'll tell you, couple guys whose names I've been hearing all week who have been very good players. Devin Bush, the rookie. Did he play? What Micah Fitzpatrick, one of the best defensive backs in the NFL. He, he had two tackles. No mm-hmm. factor whatsoever. So I, I think the Bills did a really good job of negating this defense that at home, at Heinz Field, with a lot to play for, the Bills' defense was better than the Steelers' defense. And again, I got to give the offensive line some credit for that. It's just, I really like the direction his team is going in, but there are a couple and we'll get to this area. Yeah, sure. And there's a couple concerns in kind of low lights of this game that I have. One of them is Cole Beasley. All right. He had two drops, including the interception, despite it being a high throw. And me and you were ready to go at this on Twitter a little bit on uh, Sunday night. (laughs) Well, because I think we're both right. Okay, I yeah. think it was a bad throw, and I mine think was a, it. mine was an immediate reaction. I said the throw; it was a hundred percent on bees. That's an in-game uh, fan reaction. Sure. Uh, clearly, there's no one thing in football that's a hundred percent on a guy. Oh, dude, uh, so I'll concede that. <laughs> I'm a knee. I'm the, I'm Captain Knee Jerk Reactor, so you don't got to tell me that. But anyway, he that was something he should have. He also dropped another pass before that. I think it might have been a third down conversion pass too. He's had a little bit of the case of the drops he's lately, so that's a concern. And so are the He's other... still been productive, though. Sure, He's been he a productive has. He has. By this my problem, my problem with that, the big drop where it was a little bit high. Yes, it's high. Yes, it's coming in a little bit hot. Josh Allen's that guy. That That's who he is right now. He's going to throw some of those balls. You bring a guy like Cole Beasley in to catch those balls. He's your poor man's Julian Edelman who who comes down with catches like that. They're going to need him to make some of those plays. So hopefully he puts it behind him and we don't have to talk about it too much more. Uh, but that's, I think, what frustrated me the most is that's what I expected Cole Beasley to be was a security blanket. And I'll tell you what, I feel like he needs to be that security blanket because this is another issue I have right now. Foster, Robert Foster didn't even have an offensive snap. Didn't need a Sunday night. And the Bills didn't really need anything Sunday night, but they got nothing from McKenzie. They got not, uh, Roberts actually had one catch, a first down catch. But beside from that, that is that concern you right now that it's like when it comes to the receiving game, sure, Knox will give you a little bit. But are they too dependent right now when it comes to the passing game on Brown and Beasley? Because it doesn't seem like anyone with any consistency anyway is stepping up for that third receiver. Well, still, I think you look back a year ago, what we were dealing with, I think that they're still, a, you know, light years ahead of where they were a year ago. Sure. Uh, it's not a finished room. I, they couldn't finish this whole offense in one offseason. So it's definitely not a finished room. I'd like more productivity out of that third spot. Uh, I do think it's tough right now because Andre Roberts is going to keep his spot. He's done a really nice job on punt return. So he's keeping that sure. spot on the roster. There's no getting around that. I also like a lot of what Isaiah McKenzie's done. He, they didn't get the ball in his hands in this game, but when he does get the ball, he shows the speed. He shows, you know, making heady plays. But even when they don't get the ball in his hands, that jet sweep motion that he's bringing changes the defense. It keeps the defense honest. It gives Josh Allen a look at what the defense is doing. Those things are important. So while he's not maybe showing up on the stat sheet, there's an important element to him being on the field that helps the the offense. But 
I know a lot of people are calling for Duke Williams. They're calling for changing, uh, you know, even TJ Yeldon, getting some different guys in here. I don't know that we're talking about, you know, you're shuffling the bottom of the roster at this point. And special teams is going to have a more of an impact at those bottom of the roster positions than we're going to see offensively. We're we're probably talking two to three targets uh, at most in a game. So I, I don't see a significant needle mover on the team right now, but it's definitely something it's a top priority for me uh, this next free agency or in the draft where they're saying there's a lot of wide receivers to get another guy. And even if that's bumping John Brown over to wide receiver two and getting the traditional real wide receiver one, and then you would, I think, start to see a little bit more productivity where you bump everybody down a notch. And then, you know, Beasley's your third guy instead of being relied on to be the second guy in the passing game. I got one more thing here. And then I want to wrap up with a couple of big picture things, but another concern, and we hit on this a little bit earlier, is the defense coming out of the locker room at halftime asleep. This is the third time that this has happened uh, in just recent weeks. Philadelphia came out of the locker room. Miles Sanders had that long touchdown last week against Baltimore. It might have been Hayden Hurst. I think that blown coverage, he got wide open, 61-yard touchdown. And then the Steelers took the ball, and, and then they marched down and scored a touchdown out of the locker room. Is that concerning to you? Because it's one thing to have it now, but... This is a, and I wasn't going to say this is going to be a playoff team. That's wrong. They are a playoff team. They get in the playoffs. I don't care if it's Houston, Kansas City, wherever they're playing, Tennessee. You can't be coming out of the locker room just giving away seven points like that and expect to just make adjustments and recover. They might not have that luxury of giving away seven points. That That's kind of concerning to me. Yeah, they don't have the luxury because this offense can't be relied right. upon to put up point. You know, we're not going to match another team point for point. Right. Uh, you know, especially some of these offenses, like you said, like a Houston or KC. That's just not the path to victory against those teams for this Bills team. But it's a concern. I don't know what uh, it is that's going on. Those scripted plays are tough, though. It's at the first start of the half and at the start of the game that this team has struggled. I don't know why, uh, but those scripted plays are going to be tough. Those are the ones that the the coordinators and the team on the other side is looking at your defense and finding where they can ma- they can expose you. And as good as this defense is, every defense has weaknesses and ways that they can be exposed. And so far, often the coordinators have done a very good job in those scripted plays, pulling out some stuff that is exposing this defense and. Hopefully it's something that they kind of get the reins in on here over the next couple of weeks going into the playoffs, but it's frustrating. It's definitely the biggest weakness of this defense, but you're going to have a weakness. Uh, that's not the worst one to have that because years and years we've seen Bill's defenses that, like I said, weren't able to adjust or weren't able to settle in and get back to who they are. And that's what makes me feel like this isn't the worst thing in the world is, okay, a team scores out of the half, but then this defense locks back in and, and really doesn't allow anything else. So it's a crappy flaw right now to have. Hopefully they fix it, but it's not the end of the world. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's show is supported by Pulse Cellular. Today's lifestyle demands the it's best. Like 40 seconds. This is the last one. Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Wrap with a couple of big pictures. Switch things. to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast to coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each. That includes hotspot. Wi-Fi mm-hmm. calling and up to 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers out there, Pulse has you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus text and data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones, or you can bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile. 
at PulseCellular.com. So, bottom line here, okay? The Bills get their 10th win. First time the Bills have had 10 wins since the Wade Phillips Buffalo Bills beat the New England Patriots the day after Christmas in 1999, coached by Pete Carroll at the time was a New England coach. Dude, I'll tell you what. Listen, I've been a Bills fan for a long time. I know you have too. I can remember the early 80s because I'm old when they were like a fringe contender and then they sucked. That like 83, 84, 85, 86, they sucked. And they never reached their peak when they had their chance and then they went into the abyss. And then of course, the Super Bowl years. And I honestly, I cannot remember vividly the last time the Bills made a playoffs with multi-weeks of breathe. Though I learned that it was actually 1991. I looked it up last night, but dude, 20, imagine being a Buffalo Bills fan for 20, not imagine because for a lot of people, this is the case here. 28 years of being a Buffalo Bills fan and never once in those 28 years did you ever go into week 17 relax knowing that you're going to be playing football the next week. Isn't that crazy? And what it's, a feeling it, this is right now, man. Woo. It's so foreign uh, to me. I don't, I've... I was born in 1984. So those early nineties teams, I was just a kid figuring out what football was. And I just liked Thurman Thomas. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't into football. I didn't understand uh, the NFL at that point. So the, I wasn't enjoying it in the same way, say somebody in there, you know, that even was like 10, 12, 13 years old uh, would be enjoying it at that point. So I don't know what that was like. Um, And for me, this is just weird. It's always been, this is a, here's the other problem with the Buffalo Bills. They've never really been the worst team in this whole drought and all these. They've had a few four win, three win seasons, but usually they're just mediocre and they're always hanging out in the hunt and we're crunching playoff scenarios. Who's got to lose in week 17? And that's what I'm used to this time of year is, all right, this team's got to lose. They got to win this. We got to watch this game back into the playoffs. Maybe there's a hope. I'm sitting here for the next two weeks. We're playing with house money. I don't care. And, I actually think I tweeted this out. I think that makes them pretty dangerous here going forward. If they want to be, they can afford to play loose. They can afford to play free. And that, I think that would make them a much more dangerous team, you know, going into Foxborough, not having to play conservative with, oh man, if we drop this game, then that screws up all of our playoff scenarios. We could go out there and sling the ball around and then really play aggressive in hopes that we just get out of there with a win. And if they lose, who cares? It doesn't change it. We're still the five seed. There's nothing that's going to change that. It's it's a very foreign feeling. And 24 hours later, 48 hours later, I haven't figured out how to wrap my head around my teams in the playoffs. And I got two weeks to go. Well, I'll tell you what, Monday afternoon was probably one of the most fun days to be a Buffalo Bills fan in quite a while. Because again, it's just exhilaration and relief and not having to go through all that, the crazy playoff formulas and looking around and who needs to do what. It's just a really good feeling. And by the way, aside from the playoffs, the Bills have won six games on the road this season. That's also pretty. uh, 1991, 1993, those two teams tied for the most road wins in team history. That's awesome. But here's what I wanted to talk to you about because you brought this up earlier in the podcast. I want to circle back to this. The fans and how players feel about the fans and how it seems like they genuinely like being in Buffalo. I'm talking about the players right now. Culture and success do have an impact. And I do believe that culture is a real thing. I think oh, Joe's going to be so mad at you for saying that. Piss on, on here, Joe. Piss, <laughs> on, piss on Joe and his opinion about his uh, defense about culture. I already know he's going to. 
Joe quit. Uh, Joe quit the podcast because I haven't had him on. <laughs> I said it's like WWE. He's like Hulk Hogan. He leaves. He's never coming back. Trust me. Joe's going to be back on back. the podcast. Yeah. Exactly. But anyway, getting serious here. Word travels around the league. Okay. I, yeah. I truly believe that going to Buffalo is no longer a prison sentence because, I mean, let's be real here. Free agents, people who come to Buffalo used to come to Buffalo because of they were drafted because they got waived and claimed by the bills because the bills would overpay for you to go there. Like they would pay a lot more money than any other competitor would, or you went to Buffalo because nobody else wanted you. That's how you ended up being a Buffalo bill. I mean, that's, that's the reality right there. Okay. Now it doesn't feel that way anymore. It feels like Buffalo is a place that guys legitimately want to play at. Look at that game on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Those guys are not just winning. They're having fun. And it's not just this year. It was last year too, the year they made the playoffs. When that Renegade song was going on, that Steelers or Hein Stadium trademark, the Bills were having fun. The players were going nuts on the sidelines. They like each other. It's infectious. That's why this summer, or I'm sorry, this winter, I should say, I don't automatically assume that Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson are both goners because in the past, the Bills are either going to overpay them or they're out. I don't feel right. that way anymore. I feel like the way this team is winning, they're on the rise. Players like it. The, they know players are, I'm not just talking about Buffalo players. Players around the league know what it's like to be around Buffalo right now and the fans and all this publicity that they're getting. I don't automatically assume these guys are gone. I feel like the Bills could make competitive offers to one or both of them. Why wouldn't they stay? And if they right. leave, why wouldn't a good player come here anymore? There's no more Anquan Boldens coming this way anytime soon who want nothing to do with Buffalo or Vontae Davises. That's what I'm trying to get at right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that this team is, they're going to make some of those mistakes still in getting guys that, there's still going to be a number of players that just don't get it. Right. Right. There's sure. going to be those guys that just want to play of somewhere course. flashy and sure. that be all about them. But I don't think Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott want those guys. Exactly. I think they want guys that, you know, they're finding and they're that's where culture comes in. They're finding the guys that are know that this is bigger than themselves, want to play for their teammates, respect the people around the building. That's a big thing. Uh, you know, and it comes down to the lady in the cafeteria and the janitor and, and all of that and the fans. They want the people that those things are important to them and creating a family atmosphere is important to them and I think there's a lot of guys in the league that are like that I think there's a lot of guys coming out that are like that and if they continue to find those guys I think that that just creates more of a loving environment they talk about it all the time uh, Trey White after the game Sunday said you know what makes this defense special and he said we love each other we play for each other we are with each other all the time and we you believe them right and you believe yeah, them. no and it's, I don't think it's just typical PR. Oh, right. I just like playing in Buffalo. No, I I think there's a sincerity to this. And in this day and age where you have social media, you have Twitter, you see those interactions are genuine with you each other. Do you think you, it gets around the league? I do think it gets around. These guys all work out in the off season. They're all playing. They're working out together. All the, you know, former LSU, all the former Alabama guys, they all get together and go back to their schools in the off, off season and talk about things. I think and on the vice of that, we just saw the Jaguars. I mentioned it earlier. The NFLPA came out and said, hey, if you're going to uh, have a chance to go, keep this in the back of your mind. The Jaguars have had 25% of the complaints to the NFLPA have come from ex and current Jaguars players. So think about that. There's It goes both ways if you're when you're building culture. Um, and I do think that 
this goes into too how how are they going to pay your Tredavious Whites? I think that's going to matter. They're they're doing things a lot the right way. You hear talked about by your Lewis Riddicks, uh, your Peter Schragers, people that are well connected to the league are, are constantly saying Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are building this thing the right way. They're doing it the right way, and I think that that does start to spread. They are going. It's going to still take a while to knock off twenty years of how people view you and your franchise around the league, but I think they've started it. I think you're beginning to see some of that stuff fall by the wayside, and they're building their own narrative about who the Buffalo Bills are. And I agree with you. I think that's going to be a team people want to play for. It's such a far cry from the shit that we see going on around the league with some other teams right now. Like you mentioned earlier, Jacksonville, like a quarter of the NFLPA grievances that were filed in last year were players from Jacksonville against, uh, against the team. Half the Cleveland Brown players allegedly won out. Won out. You know, they their two star receivers allegedly, reportedly anyway, both of them won out. You got but Adam it's Gates. Even it's if it's crazy. Le- it's yeah. crazy. You got Adam Gates and the Jets. They're a complete disaster. Jason Look what the Ga- Redskins did with uh, Trent Williams. Exactly. Year, like- Absolutely. You got Jason Garrett in Dallas, who's probably going to get fired within an hour after the Dallas season ends, whenever that is. So from a Buffalo perspective, following this team for as long as, we have and talked about them. It's such a refreshing goddamn change of pace because usually at this point of the season, if we were doing a podcast right now, what would we be doing is who's going to be the next coach? Is this GM going to survive? Is Brandon Bean, how much longer are we going to deal with him before he's on the hot seat? Ditto with Sean McDermott. You know what else we'd be doing? Mock drafting right now. We probably yeah, would already yeah. know. I couldn't tell you five players in a draft. I'm going to be yeah, dead honest with you right now. No, I know yep. you can. You're more of a draft guy than I am. But I'm going to be honest I with you. I haven't even touched it. That's what I'm saying. Because you don't need to. Yeah. You don't need to. You don't need to start thinking about who the Bills are going to take with the uh, somewhere between. 20-something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right now, that's the last thing in the world I'm thinking about is a mock draft. So you look at all these other teams around the league, and it's like, yo, this is really cool for once that we're talking football and we're getting ready for the playoffs. It's, it's, again, it's just different. But it feels like it's going to be around for a while with this organization. That's what I love about this team compared to 2017 where that kind of felt a little bit fluky. Yeah, and I think you can look at some teams that did it in a very different way of how they built things up. A year ago at this time, everybody was saying, Sean McVay is a complete genius. He can't do anything wrong. The Everything he touches turns to gold. The Rams aren't in a very good situation. I wouldn't be, if I was a Rams fan, I wouldn't look at my future and say, oh man, we're going to dominate this division for the next few years. I'm looking at it and saying, how can we dump all these salaries and start this over? Because this is a mess. Teams have done it in different ways. I think that the Bills have done it in the right way when it comes to the mix of how they got rid of what they had, got rid of all that cap, swallowed that medicine, got a nice mix of vets, have been drafting well, um, building that up, getting a lot of young talent. And I think that that's the right way to do it. And Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have always talked to about sustained success because they've taken shortcuts uh, throughout these few years and gotten maybe success a little earlier on. Yeah, for sure. Their teams do it all the time and and we see it, but it doesn't always work. Look at the Cleveland Browns. They went all in. They don't get the success. I think Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott have this plan for sustained success. And I got killed when they both came in. I said, 
if you think these two are the guys and that they can work hand in hand, because I, I built out a timeline of uh, GMs, coaches, and coordinators, and the amount of overlap in the Buffalo Bills from 1999 until Sean McDermott and, and Brandon Bean came, there was so much overlap and chaos in the most important positions in your franchise that the, no wonder we never had success. Everybody was drafting for the wrong teams. Then you get a new coach in, you're drafting for new guys. If you believed that these two guys they're hiring together are the right guys, give them a full four to five years. Even if they don't have the success in year three that you expect, give them the full thing. I think they've shown more than enough uh, to, to continue on for the full length of their contract. And if I think if these two win a football game in, in the playoffs, I think it's time to start talking about extending both the GM and the coach uh, to see this thing out long term. I'll tell you what, I've seen and read many reports that Sean McDermott was a lot more in demand than given credit for a couple years oh, ago yeah. when he was up to be a head coach. So before we talk about the playoffs, real quick here. So we got New England up Saturday, 4.30. Ultimately, the game probably means nothing because even if the Bills happen to win, there's no way New England's losing at home to Miami in Week 17. Although Ryan Fitzpatrick quarterback, it would at least be fun to think about during the week. It was fun for a half against Cincinnati and New England on a, on Sunday. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, maybe Cincinnati's going to do it, but then they started playing like the Bengals and whatever. Point being is the Bills ain't winning the division. I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen. Having said that, does this game still feel important to you or not? And, and also, what is your approach? If you're Sean McDermott right now and you're going into this game on Saturday, you're in the playoffs, you locked up the fifth seed, Obviously, it's too early to just start sitting guys and not playing them at all for two weeks. That's the last thing you want to happen. But he's probably going to be a little more careful than normal, too. Like maybe an injury that someone could play through, but if they're banged up, he might keep them out. Or do you wait completely to week 17 for that, where I do think a couple guys will sit. But going into this game, New England Sunday, or Saturday, I should say, they got to go and play to win the game, obviously, because, I mean, New England does have a football game to play on Sunday if they lose. To the Bills the following Sunday, I should say, even it's though it's at home against Miami. But what's your approach right now if you're Sean McDermott? Are you a little more conservative with your guys or are you going all in still? Well, the fan in me uh, for Saturday's game, if they win, it's super important. Uh, just even from the getting that monkey off your back, beating a, a sure. fully, you know, a Tom Brady team in Foxborough. Might see him a third then- time, too. Yeah, and they're playing for something. A lot of times when we won, it would, they weren't playing for something. So there is something to that of getting that monkey off your back. And I think they want that when they want to show, you know, the Pagoulas that they can do that. That's the one thing they haven't been able to do. Um, but then the fan of me also says if they don't win, well, you know what? That game didn't matter. We're still the five seed. So it's sure. a nice place to be, you know, insurance wise from fan perspective. From a coach's perspective, it's definitely a tough balance. I'm interested to see how Sean McDermott handles this because. I think the key is going into the playoffs hot. I think that that's a thing. And if you can go in hot and, and maybe, yeah, you sit your guys in week 17, but if you can beat the Patriots and end that on a high note, I think they're, they're all out for this Saturday. I think that started when they lost 16 to 10 in Buffalo. And right after the game, Sean McDermott was talking about, Hey, we're going to see these guys again. We're not giving them everything. We're not giving everything away. Uh, this was a close game. I think in the back of their minds, they marked this on their calendars that no matter what the situation was they're they're going all out here. I think the coaches are coming really excited about this, coming up with a game plan to attack them. Um, I think that they go all out for this game, but yeah, I think next week, if somebody's hamstrings a little tight in pregame warmups and they would normally go through and play, I think you'll start to see some of those guys sit. Uh, but I don't know that it 
will be a full Matt Barkley's the starter of the game. I think they might give Josh Allen some time and, and I don't know that they want to rest too much. It, it'll be interesting to know. We haven't been in this situation with Sean McDermott to see how he would handle it. All coaches kind of handle it very differently. Uh, so I want to see how it, it goes. Cause I, I hope to be in this situation for the next five, six years in a row uh, where we're playing, we're already in the playoffs playing week 17 and I'll know, Oh yeah. Sean McDermott always sits his quarterback in week 17 when we've locked it up. <laughs> I, I think, I think Sean McDermott is going to, coach uh week 16 against the Patriots on Saturday like it's a playoff game they're trying to win that game because I don't believe that New England could lose to Miami you don't no one does but NFL players and NFL coaches I'm sure they they're saying to themselves oh I guess you never know so they're gonna try to win that game not to mention they might see him a third time you never know in the playoffs which is kind of where I want to go to wrap this up here so it's likely that the Bills are not going to win the division. I think we can concede that, okay, it's safely to say that. So they're going to be the five. That means they're going to play the four. The four is either going to be Houston or Tennessee, or it's going to be Kansas City. Houston needs one win or one Tennessee loss to clinch the AFC South. Probably the four. Texans, Um, they play at Tampa on Saturday. So they could definitely do it. So anyway, the Bills would only face the Chiefs if the Chiefs lose one and the Texans win both, which could happen. Here's what I'm circling to with this whole thing. I don't know about you, but I'm not scared of Houston at all. In fact, I, I like my chances against Houston because I think Trey White could at least slow down DeAndre Hopkins. And if he could do that, I'm not scared of Houston. I'm really not. I'm obviously not scared of Tennessee. I, I give Ryan Tannehill a lot of credit. We've already beaten them. It was Marcus Mariota, not Tannehill. But I'm certainly not scared of Tennessee. I don't want to play Kansas City. They're getting hot again. Patrick Mahomes is starting to look good. That's the one team that I don't want to play. So let them be the three and I'll gladly take either Houston or uh, Tennessee with their four. Do you kind of feel the same way or are you not as high on Kansas city as I am right now at this time? No, I think, I think you have it right as far as where I would rank them all. I, I do feel like the bills because of the defense and the defense travels, I, I really feel like they have a shot against any of these teams. I would probably want to play Houston the most, I think, just because I think their defense is so inconsistent Me that too. there's a good chance that our offense could get going against a team like that. Yep. Uh, Tennessee concerns me a little bit because they're kind of the same model that the Bills are, except they've had more explosive offense as of late. Uh, but they play good defense. They're, they're a sound, disciplined team. They're well-coached. So you hate to kind of go up against teams like that. But yeah, the Chiefs, I think, I don't know what happened if it's because Patrick Mahomes injury that people slowed on them and and they didn't win every single game, but uh, he looks right back where things were. I think the offense is clicking Andy Reed. I guess the only thing I would say is it'd be fun to see McDermott go up against Andy Reed in the playoffs. And I don't trust Andy Reed to make the right decisions if it's a close game at the end of the game uh, and that Sean McDermott and this defense have a chance to win the game. I would trust that. So I think they can beat, any of the teams that it looks like they're projected to meet in the first round of the playoffs. And that is a really good feeling because when we backed in to the playoffs, the, uh, you know, two years ago, even going up against the Jaguars, I didn't feel confident that the bills were going to go up and win any games uh, in that playoffs. But I do feel like, this is a very dangerous team. I've said it all along. If they can get into the playoffs, the Bills are dangerous with this defense. The offense can turn it on and make some big plays at any point and just barely put up enough points to make it tough on you. I think they're going to be in all, all whoever they play, they'll be in that game. Um, and they're going to make it interesting, man. I, I really feel that way. So I'm, I'm fine with whoever it is, but 
I think there's a chance that KC ends up in the two seed. I really do. I think the Patriots are going to drop one of these next two games. I, I really think the Pats or the that KC is going to end up uh, in the second seed here, and then we're going to end up probably playing the Titans or the Houston. That's another hidden gem when it comes to the Bills Patriots on Saturday. Because if the Bills could beat New England and Kansas City wins out, Kansas City would actually be the two then because they beat uh, New England head to head. So yeah, sir, New England end up being the three. Last question here, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit already. How close do you think the Bills are before contending for a Super Bowl is the expectation? And anything less than that feels like a letdown. Like, for an example, 2017, you said this, and it's common knowledge, and I agree with you 100%. Just getting there in 2017 felt great. 17-year playoff drought, they weren't supposed to be there. It was fun to enjoy that week. They went to Jacksonville, could have won the game, but they didn't. But I wasn't that mad. I'm like, all right, you know, they got to the playoffs. This year, I feel like it's nice to get to the playoffs. I'm happy with that. But I feel like they're capable of beating uh, any of these teams in the first round, especially if it's Houston. We both agreed on that. Or at the very least, being right there late in the fourth quarter. If that happens and they lose, sure, we'll be disappointed. But I'm not going to say the season as a whole is a disappointment. But come next year, should the expectation be the Buffalo Bills should be AFC champions. And anything less than being an AFC champion in 2020 is going to feel like a letdown to you. Do you think they're close enough that you can put that expectation on them next year? It's going to be tough. So this year, I think mostly universally, the expectation wasn't even playoffs at the start of the year. I think most people thought that this was a team that was not quite there yet. I think they're ahead of schedule. I think some of that's favorable schedule uh, this year that they had they had let's face it, they didn't play the toughest schedule this year. So they racked up some wins against bad teams, but you still got to win those games. I don't care. They're ahead of schedule from where they were. I always thought 2020 was the year of they preach playoff caliber. If you're going to be a playoff caliber, be, being decisively a playoff team, not in question. Going into the year, everybody says the Buffalo Bills are a playoff team. That To me, that doesn't mean they need to be division winners or Super Bowl favorites or anything like that. I think the way Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are building this team with this incremental progress this growth mindset, I think that you know, in the next two to three years, that really starts to ramp up to now you have to be a Super Bowl contender. But I think fans are going to run out of patience because we want it so bad. We thirst for that success so bad. But it's going to be one of those things where maybe this year they get into the playoffs and they lose. But it, like you said, it's a close game. And then next year, again, they they get in. They, they have a lot of wins. Maybe they're a wild card team. Maybe they do win the division. Uh, they get in, win a game, and then they get booted. But it's one of those things we saw it with. You see with teams all the time. We saw it with the Bills of, of the late 80s where you, you make incremental progress every year and you start building towards being that competitor. I think that's the way they're building. Uh, they're not doing it the Rams way where they just bring in a ton of talent and make one run. Uh, they're doing it the right way. And so I think it'll take a couple years here, but I expect this to be a playoff team year in, year out. Here's going to be where the problem is. We saw the Bears do this last year. I've said the Bills and the Bears have almost identical in how they built their teams. And the Bills are having a year similar to what the Bears had last year. Maybe not as many wins, but the Bears played a relatively easy schedule. Their quarterback was flawed, had some deficiencies, but the defense carried them. They won a playoff game. They or they won their division. They lost in the playoffs. 
they faced a much tougher schedule because of their success this year, and they're probably not going to make the playoffs. And I think they're officially eliminated after this weekend. That could be a reality for the Buffalo Bills. So it'd be interesting to see what happens because next year they're going to get a better schedule. They're going to play the the team from the AFC that was whatever the second team in their division versus the last team in their division. So things are going to get tougher going forward, and and how they're able to respond against a tougher schedule will say a lot about the expectations moving forward. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll worry about next year, next year, but for a couple weeks from now, let's pray to the football guys, at least I'm going to anyway, that the Bills do not play on Saturday, January 4th. Please, God, if there's one out there who's involved with football scheduling, please play on Sunday because I'll tell you what. So I'm coming to Buffalo on December 20th, this Friday. I'm going to be in Buffalo. I'm staying the New Year's Day. I got to leave New Year's Day, come back home. I fly into Tampa. I live about 45 minutes from Tampa. And then the very next morning, I got to drive to Miami because my son's playing in the offense, defense, Florida Bowl. It's like a high school showcase all-star game for juniors. So we're going to Miami on Thursday the 2nd. He's got practice on Thursday and Friday. And then he's got a game Saturday the 4th. Actually, which is would be really cool. Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. That's a dream. That's going to be a ton of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But I ain't trying to have him play when the Bills are playing. Ah. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I said they need the Bills because I don't know what time they're playing on Saturday. I just right. know that the game is sometime on Saturday. So I could be caught in a situation right now where I have to miss a Buffalo Bills playoff game or not watch my, I'm not going to not watch my son playing the high no. school all-star game, but I might end up having, that would be like literally the the worst case scenario. That'd be my doomsday right now. So God, I hope that they're playing on Sunday. I don't know how they pick them. I don't either. Uh, I, I hate Saturday games, man. It's just me the too. Give me a Sunday football. I just like it. So I'm with you. I'll be praying to those football <laughs> gods that you get to have your cake and eat it too, and and uh, watch a huge honor for your son. Congratulations, by the way. That that's super. Got to be super cool as a parent. I look at my little three year old and think of all the things you know he'll eventually achieve, and that's that's pretty rad, man. And yeah. uh, super happy for you and your kid, and uh, enjoy that part. And then hopefully you'll be able to also enjoy the game separately uh, and hopefully a Bill's victory. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'll tell you what, here's why I want to end this with a quote, not a question from WGR. My guy, Sal Capaccio, he said something on Monday that I loved on the radio. Here's a direct quote. He said, and this is regarding the Bills, of course, our future looks better than our present and we are at 10 wins right now. What's your reaction to that? Kind of get chills thinking about it because he's right. This team is good right now. They love the fans. The fans love them. The league is starting to love them. The the media is starting to love them. And they're at 10 wins right now. And the future is even better than our present. At least it should be. What's your reaction when you hear something like that? Uh, I like the I like the quote a lot. I don't disagree with it at all. But it's uh, something I've been saying kind of similar to Josh Allen. The uh, progression and improvement isn't linear. And that's the only thing I urge fans is every season is a different animal. Every season presents challenges. Sean McDermott says that all the time. There's always adversity. Um, so I don't expect it to be, yeah, the future is brighter, but that doesn't mean next year they win 12 games. And uh, next year they win the 13 games. That it could be that this is just a, a good team with a bright future. And I think he's right, though. The, the cap situation is great. Lots of young talent on this team. Uh, GM with uh, guys underneath him who are going to be highly sought after for front office jobs that know how to find talent and develop talent. So everything's lined up for this to continue on and build the right way. And that's just something we haven't seen it, man. We, we talk about it all the time. We haven't seen it. And so the future is super bright. And uh, we have a lot to be excited about as Bills fans. And I feel bad for the un- other NFL fan bases because we have 17 to 20 years of built up 
frustration to let loose when we start having some success. Yeah, that that's funny. All right, good stuff as always. Follow my man Aaron on Twitter at Aaron Quinn seven one six. Cover one. Check out the Cover One Buffalo podcast. By the way, you and Greg, you do a really good job. They're on after Bills games, and you also have Wednesday shows getting fans ready for the next game as well. Good stuff as always, bro. We went for quite a long time. I didn't want to have anyone else but you on this episode because oh, I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, you're, you're my football guy, man. You know, so when it's all, when I got to do a bunch of different things, I go looking around for different guests. But when it's straight up Bills talk, man, you're my guy always. I love it. I love it, man. I appreciate it. I, I love coming on with you and, and chatting, Bills. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Aaron Quinn, Cover One. Always love having Aaron on the podcast. Go check out CoverOne.net. Outstanding, deeply detailed Buffalo Bills analysis there. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead, give this podcast a subscribe, rate and review, all that fun stuff. Really helps me continue to grow the show. Of course, we're available on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also, make sure you hit up the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Got highlight clips from some podcast episodes up there, as well as some original audio content. Good stuff there. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at PamaranTweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, prize pack giveaways, thoughts, going at it with Bills fans, all kinds of fun stuff there. Thanks again for listening to the show. I say it all the time. I really mean it. It means the world to me. I appreciate each and every single person out there taking time to listen to this podcast. Can't say it enough. So grateful for all of you. Thank you again. Have a good week. Getting close to Christmas, folks. I'll be back. New show on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.